I just want to say again, it was great to be away, uh, and it's really, really good to be back here with all of you. And so thanks to all of the staff team who did such an amazing job uh, organizing and carrying through the programming and the ministry uh, calendar here in the summer. And now uh, we have turned the page and moved into the fall, even though we forgot to put the new series logo on our info sheet this morning, so forgive us for that. Uh, but speaking of being back... How many of you as students or as teachers in the last couple of weeks have uh, moved back into a school mode? Some of you are back at school but have not yet moved back into school mode as a teacher or as a student. So there's some disconnect there. I can, I can understand. You're not used to putting your hands up yet. So, so students, time for just a, a quick uh, honesty check. How many of you forgot absolutely everything that you learned last year over the summer? All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Some of you are graduate students, so that's not helpful, um, but that's all right. So it, it really is, though, amazing how quickly, as individuals, we have a tendency to forget things. Our daughter, this last week, uh, she's going to grade one, and so she came home and she said to me, uh, Dad, you know, they have us doing kindergarten work again. You know, I know how to do all of that stuff. I want to do the grade one work now, I said, well, teachers, they just have to get a sense of where everybody is and going over the basics of some of the things, letter writing, you know, all of those types of things in, in grade one. And, uh, but going over the basics is kind of how most of us get back into our rhythms for fall. We kind of reestablish ourselves. We kind of reorient our schedules in many ways. And we kind of go back over very uh, simple things again. And it really isn't a bad thing at all because it really is amazing how quickly we as human beings have a tendency to forget the things that we have learned. But this, this doesn't actually just happen to us in school. It happens to us in all kinds of different areas in our lives. It happens to us spiritually. It happens to us uh, even in work environments. When we go away on holidays, we come back and we think, how did I do that before? I don't remember where I was at with that project. Uh, it can happen to organizations can get so complex and through different stages of growth, they forget about some of the basic things uh, that they were about when they first Began And it can happen to us spiritually in our lives as well. And so as we jump into the fall, we're going to invest five weeks going what we're calling back to basics. And in this teaching series, in the new journal that you should uh, have in your hand, it's out on your seat. If you didn't get one, there's a few that are available uh, just at the back of the center aisles there in the, uh, on the music stand. So you want to grab one of those and turn to page 23 if you're a person who likes to take notes and you're back in the scholastic rhythm. But we're going to be exploring uh, Jericho Ridge's five core values uh, over the next five weeks. So the, our five core values are uh, listed in there. Their transformational truth is the first one. Global service, which we'll look at next week as we explore in our ministry fair environment. Authentic community. We'll look at on the 25th, and then that evening we'll be having our group connect to say if you want to become a part of an intentional small group community, a life group we call them, then that's a good step. Uh, and then on the 2nd of October, generous living or generous lifestyle. And then our fifth value on Thanksgiving weekend, holistic worship. And so for us, knowing our core values and our organizing principles and communicating them should help you as an individual to understand why we do things the way that we do them 
around here at Jericho Ridge. And the reason for this is that both organizationally and personally, your values guide you in everything that you do. And if you doubt that that's true, think with me for a minute about your past vacation experience. I've heard some of your vacation, summer vacation stories. You may want to go back to the vacation before this last summer uh, if you need to refresh and think about a vacation that you enjoyed that also was connected with good weather, I understand. Uh, we picked a good summer to be away. Uh, but think of what it is that you value in a vacation. If you've got that fixed in your mind. What helps you make the decision on where you're going to take a vacation? What helps you make a decision on how you're going to vacation and with whom you choose to vacation or not vacation? All of us have values that guide the way that we vacation. Might be something as simple as, I want to go somewhere sunny. Or, I want to visit a country that I've never visited before. Or, I want to go back to a place that I've been before and I liked. Or, I want to go and visit family. Your vacation values will drive all of your decision-making related to that particular holiday. And your vacation values might be, well, we have X number of dollars to spend. We'll go anywhere that we can keep within that budget. Or it might be, I want to stay connected with relatives or family. So we're going to intentionally visit that group of people. And the challenge becomes when your vacation values come into conflict with somebody else's vacation values, maybe in your home or maybe the people that you are vacationing with. And so the challenge is when you either have different values or you don't understand your own values. One time we had a holiday with some uh, friends who will remain nameless whose highest value we came to realize vacationing was doing things as cheaply as possible. Frugality was their vacation value. Even if it meant inconveniencing everyone around them, they were going to do this the cheapest way possible. And we realized that time, you know what, that maybe isn't our, we don't share those vacation values with them. And every discussion became a very complex logistical discussion. Well, if we go here instead of there, we could save $5. Like, it's $5. Just spend the 5 bucks. It's fine. You know, you'll be okay with it. But we realized, wow, their value system it was unspoken. We didn't test it or, or assess before we spent time with them, we realized our value systems are operating, we're operating every day and every decision we make on this holiday out of a very different set of value systems. And so all I'll say politely about that vacation is that it brought us into and brought them into direct conflict with people around them as to the vacation values. And we haven't spent a lot of time with them since. So it's none of you here, just so you know, right, if you're thinking about so the point of having you think about your vacation values, though, is to emphasize the reality of the fact that our values as individuals and as families, as churches, as organizations, they drive everything that we do. And so being aware of our values helps us to be able to understand some of the rationale behind why we do things that we do. Because values drive our decisions. They drive our financial habits. They drive our planning and our execution. They even drive what we're willing to fight for or what we're willing to fight about and how we're willing to fight. And in this teaching session, we want to explore those values rooted in the scriptures and where 
uh, they come from. And in his teaching time on earth, which is recorded in the first four books of the New Testament, uh, Jesus had a lot to say to you and me about our values. And Jesus' teaching is more than just winsome ideas or suggestions about how to organize your holidays. It's about how to build a solid foundation and how to organize your life with the values that are consistent with the values that Jesus would call us to if we name his name and are a follower of his. And so it's about building your life on a foundation of the values that God has called us to and building this church on a foundation of values, shared values that God has called us to that we look at over the next uh, number of weeks. And so that's why we're starting this series with a look at our first value at Jericho Ridge. And our first value is transformational truth. You'll find it uh, in full on page 23 of your new Momentum Journal or on the side screens. And I want you to read this value with me out loud uh, as we explore together and look at transformational truth, our first value. All right, you're going to read it out loud with me. Ready, go. God's character and his word shape our thinking and behavior. Biblical truth is taught in our homes and church in such a way that it leads to holistic growth. We are committed to depth and maturity in our faith, fully aware of our need for grace in our spiritual apprenticeship. We desire to work out our faith in all aspects of our personal lives, intellectual, physical, emotional, spiritual, in order to transform our world as we are transformed. Now we'll talk in uh, the weeks that follow about how we actually came to hold these values as a church family. And that process was rooted in a community discernment here at Jericho Ridge and was really a lot of fun and came out of some time that we spent uh, together after the, fairly shortly after the church was uh, recently launched a number of years ago. But this value, I mean, there's so much there. We could spend five weeks on just this value alone. But Pastor Keith organized this series while I was away, and he told me I only had one Sunday to talk about transformational truth. And so I'm going to stick with that. Um, and we'll, then we have some time for the other values to discuss them as well. But I want to give you the main point of our teaching time together today that pulled out of the text that we're going to look at in Luke's Gospel. And the main point is this, that when your heart is transformed by truth, your life will bring forth obedient fruit. When your heart as an individual, or as a group of people, is transformed by truth, your life will bring forth obedient fruit. And so we're going to look into God's Word uh, together this morning, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 6. And so if you don't have uh, a Bible, and you would like one, then uh, you can just head back. There's Bibles just back on the music stands uh, at the back there, or you can uh, head over and visit with Tamara at the Welcome Center, and she's got uh, copies of the scriptures for you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take that home, and we'd love for you to get in contact with us. Let us know if we can help you understand anything about it. That's part of what we love to do uh, here at Jericho Ridge, and so be in touch with our staff team uh, if that is you. And so let's look at what Jesus has to say in his teaching about this notion 
of transformational truth. And in Luke chapter 6, verses 42 to 49, we're going to see two pictures or two images that Jesus gives to us. And one is related to the notion that genuine transformation can only be rooted in a solid foundation of truth. And one image is related to how transformation actually occurs in our lives. And so I have a couple of my volunteers uh, from our youth, and they are going to read for us. And so Micah and Isaac Dickey are going to read for us uh, from Luke chapter 6, verses 43, 44, and 45. All right, Micah, have at her. Hello. There we go. All right. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Forty-four, a tree is identi- <laughs> Okay. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. All right. Micah's going to take over. I'm not Micah. Sorry. Isaac's going to take over. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Perfect. All right. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Appreciate it. All right. So in, in this section, in Luke chapter 6, if you kind of flip back a page, you can see that Jesus is teaching on a whole spectrum of attitudes of our heart. He's adjusting people's thinking about uh, how they orient their lives towards God. We have the Beatitudes in this section. Jesus is talking about not judging others. He's talking about love for your enemies. And then Jesus comes to the end of this teaching segment, and it's as if he's saying, well, how will you know if all of these things that I am teaching you about have taken root in your life? And what indicators might you look for to see if a person has taken this teaching seriously or if a person's value system has experienced transformation? And Jesus uses the word picture of a fruit tree. Now, you may not have thought about it a lot before, but in some ways, your life is like a fruit tree. Now, we have a, fruit, uh, a few trees in our yard one uh, is a lilac tree. I'll use the, it was a lilac tree. I forgot to water it, and it was in a pot, and it got really hot, and so it's dead. Uh, so that tree is, is no longer with us. So I can't use that as an illustration, uh, except for what not to do and caring for your trees. But we have another tree. It's a yellow magnolia tree, and it's very pretty. And every year in the late spring in our backyard, uh, this magnolia tree produces beautiful yellow flowers. And our neighbor has a tree right across the fence that they plant, and it's a cherry tree. And so they grow, they're right beside each other. And every spring and every summer it flowers, and it produces wonderful cherries. And every year, I don't have to go out and wonder what the magnolia tree is going to do. I wonder if it's going to produce cherries this year, just for something different. I wonder if the cherry tree is going to get these cool yellow magnolia flowers and grow like 20 feet tall. This, it's not going to happen. Because each tree is just doing what it has been created to do. I, don't, I just expect the tree to do what's in its nature to do, all other things being equal. I expect the magnolia tree to produce beautiful, if short-lived, yellow flowers. I expect the leaves to be really huge, and then in the fall, for all of them to fall off, and them to cover my whole lawn, and I have to rake them all up and get them out of my gutters. 
I expect that the cherry tree is going to produce fruit. It's a young cherry tree, so the fruit doesn't taste really good yet in our neighbor's yard. But I just expect the trees to do what it's already in their nature to do. It's the most natural and organic thing that these trees can do. Because by its very nature, the magnolia tree is a magnolia tree. And so it does what a magnolia tree does. The cherry tree is a cherry tree. So it produces cherries, which is what cherry trees do. And so Jesus here is making the somewhat obvious point of saying something very similar. He's saying, you know what? Your life is like a fruit tree. For each of you in your life, for each of us in our lives, your life will produce something. A good person will produce good things from the treasury of a good heart, Jesus says. And an evil person produces evil things from what? From their heart. And here, Jesus has isolated for us a principle of transformation. Because transformation always starts, genuine and authentic transformation always starts deep in your life, in your heart. And from there, it begins to affect everything else in your life, your speech, your finances, your thinking, your value systems. All of those things begin to change when deep transformation takes place and takes root in your life. And the reason that Jesus is mentioning this is because there's a group of people in his day and a group of people also very alive and well in our day and time that when they hear the word Christianity or church or they say, well, uh, you, you would say, well, I'm a Christian. The first thing that happens in their minds is they think, oh, I know what that is. That's the group of people that tries to work really hard at behavior modification in their lives. They come to that place called a church, and they get a little dose of whatever they get there, and it helps them be a bit of a nicer person or a better person. They get a little religious to-do list so that they can keep God off their backs. And in this type of person's thinking, Christianity is fundamentally about a set of behaviors or actions that if mastered by an individual or by a group of people would result in God thinking about that person or that group of people, hey, that person's a pretty good person. They seem to be nice to others. They give some money to the poor every now and then. They go to church a few times. Hmm, well, I should probably respond if they're a good person and let them into heaven, shouldn't I? But see, the problem with all of this thinking is that all of those types of things are external, behavior-driven realities. We can look at them and we can say, well, from what I see on the outside, that person seems like a good person. And so if we start there looking at things from the outside, we might attach the label Christian to that person because their, their behaviors seem to match with what we have defined in our cultural or personal box. And so we think, well, what does a Christian do? Well, and we have a bit of a mental checklist and we look at a person's life or our own life and say, well, I do this, 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 and this. So therefore, I fit in the box. Cool, I think. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, Jesus is profoundly upending or challenging that type of thinking here. Because Jesus here isn't ultimately concerned 
with changing your behavior on the superficial level and turning a bunch of people into a group of slightly more kind, slightly more altruistic, slightly more spiritual human beings. Jesus here says, I'm actually concerned about your heart. Because the source of all of your behaviors, your thinking, your actions, your attitudes and choices, resides in your heart. And so, if you start thinking you're going to change the fruit on a tree, but you're not going to deal with the root at all, you're not going to get very far. Transformation starts at the level of our hearts. And when the Bible talks about our heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps our blood. It's talking about that deep and inner place inside every one of us, that seat of our will, our emotions, our volition, our thinking. It's really connected to who we are fundamentally as a person. It's a very deeply seated idea from the scriptures. And so Jesus is saying transformation starts at the level of our hearts and flows out from there, not vice versa. You don't start by changing the external behaviors visibly and hope that if you do enough cosmetic surgery to an individual's life, it matches up with this picture of what it means to be a Christian you'll end up with a new you somehow. If you want to experience transformational truth, if you want to experience God's transforming work in your life, you have to start by asking God to deal with it at the heart level. You start by coming to God and saying, God, I think it might be possible that I've been trying to behave my way into your good graces. And Frankly, it's really hard work to do that because I have to keep up external appearances for other people to think that as well. And so I'm kind of tired of doing it. And so if that's you today, I come to you and ask, you want to come to God and say, God, I need you to start dealing with me at a deeper level, not just at the behavioral level. I want to ask you, God, to begin to change and think about working on my very heart. Because if you don't start there, it's superficial and it's short-lived. And the fruit that you get will continue to be drawn from that deeper place. You may be able to change a couple of the, of the fruits, it's, but it's almost like uh, when a bad fruit grows up in your life, you think, oh man, there's another bad fruit. And you cut it off and you go to the store and you buy a plastic fruit and you staple it onto the tree. And you say, see God, see everybody else? This tree is producing great fruit. This tree, it's a peach tree. Fantastic peaches on this tree. And then another bad peach grows and be like, get rid of that bad peach. I don't want anybody to see that. You go to the store, you buy another fake peach, staple it on the tree and say, aha, we're growing good fruit over here. This is good stuff. And try to convince everybody of that. It's a lot of work. And so in the end, the sad reality is that God cannot receive in a relationship with him a person who just goes around trying to change their behavior and who does not have a new heart. But the exciting thing is that God wants to change your heart. He wants to deal with you at that level by His Spirit. And the really exciting thing is that once your heart begins to be transformed by God, you'll actually see the fruit and the evidence of that transformation. And so you don't 
necessarily have to work as hard in the same way that you did before because out of a good heart, the scripture says, you bring forth good fruit in your life and you'll be able to see the fruit and the evidence of God's transforming work in your life. Now, it doesn't always happen instantaneously or all at once. But the production of real and good fruit in your life over time becomes a natural and organic process that God begins to work at in your life. When we were on sabbatical, we spent time in Florida, and we saw tons and tons of orange groves. And we came to discover, as I was talking to uh, somebody else in California about orange groves, orange trees don't actually have to work very hard at producing oranges. It's just because that's what they're designed and created to do. And so given the right conditions in, in their, whether they're irrigated properly and they get the right amount of sun and all of that, then they produce oranges in abundance because that's what they're created to do and designed to do. It's in their DNA. So this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, let me change your heart. And guess what? Out of a new and redeemed heart, good things will flow. You don't start on the outside and work your way in. You start on the inside and it will work its way out. Because people with transformed hearts live transformed lives. That's why well, I'm going to let you in on two pastoral secrets this morning. That's why it really annoys pastors when they read surveys that talk about how they've surveyed people and uh, about different behavioral pieces and that Christians, as a category, display no marked difference across any number of categories than the rest of people who would not call themselves Christians. Chris, they, they, we read these surveys and we think to ourselves, how is it that, that Christians don't live any differently from people that are not Christians? How can that be? It really ticks us as pastors off. Because the corporate implication for us at a place like Jericho Ridge is that if we have good fruit and good hearts that God is working on, that we're inviting him to continuously work on, people should see us living differently. We call you Ridgeites, just so you know, around the office. If you don't like it, you can come up with a better term and let us know. But people should see people from Jericho Ridge living differently than people who are not connected to God in any way. Because God has changed your heart and your life if you're a follower of his. And so it ought to spill out of your life in significant ways. What you say, how you behave, what you think flows from what is in your heart, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 45. And so in our core value, we use this language of transformation, that God is at work transforming our hearts and transforming our lives, and the people ought to see a difference reflected in it. Now, it's again not the reality that you or I get this new heart and that we are perfect all of a sudden. I love in the core value, we use the language of apprenticeship. We use the language of a learner. We, the phrase is specifically, we are fully aware of our need for grace and to continue to grow and develop. 
And so we're not trying to say in our core value, transformational truth, that somehow that God will just give you a new heart, you'll be perfect, everybody will notice these radical differences overnight, and then whoosh, you'll be, you'll be raptured up to heaven or something like that. The basic principle that Jesus is communicating with his picture of the fruit tree is that if you've made a commitment to turn your heart and your life over to the control of God by his Holy Spirit, he is at work in your life and he wants to grow good fruit, which will bring glory to God. John chapter 15. By this, my Father receives much glory, that you bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And so the question is that if you aren't bearing fruit in your life, perhaps one of the things that may be going on is that you're doing behavior modification instead of embracing the transformation of your heart that God wants to do. And so Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, to highlight why this is going to be a huge problem for you. And so I'm going to get my second reader, Jordan Goal, is going to read for us Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. All right, Jordan, you ready? Hello. Okay, let's do it. Hello. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't know what I say? I will, sh- I will show you what it, it's like when someone comes to me, listens, listens to my teaching, and follows it. It is like a p- person building a house who digs a deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey it is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse in, in a heap of ruins. Right on. All right, thanks, Jordan. So Jesus gives us the image of the fruit tree to speak about our lives. And then the second image that he gives is a a building project or a house. And Jesus wants to explain to us what it is, or more appropriately, who it is that brings about this transformation in our lives. And the word picture is that of a house that's built on a solid foundation, a foundation of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes a claim very specifically that his teaching and that God's revelation to us in the person of Jesus and recorded in God's word, the Bible, is truth that God has communicated to us. That is, it reflects reality as God has designed it and created it to be. And that living then, according to the teachings of Jesus, who is truth, capital T, truth, is the only way to build your life on a sure and a solid foundation. And so look at the metaphor of the foundation as Jesus describes it. And he uses three very specific stages that a person can choose to engage with as it relates to truth and as it relates to his teachings in particular. In Luke chapter 6, verse 47, he says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. So the first stage is the one that comes to me. 
a stage of exploring. And so this was true of people in Jesus' day. People came. They were curious. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about his teachings. They would heard about the miracles that he had done. And so crowds flocked to him to try and figure out, who is this guy? What does he stand for? What in the world is he teaching about? They came to explore and to discover. And that might be you here today. You might just be here checking things out. You might have been invited by a friend. You might be in town for the cruise in. You might have met someone from uh, Jericho Ridge at the booth that we had uh, at the International Festival a couple weekends ago. You may be here against your will. I don't know. But in your heart, you might be saying, you know what? I'm still not sure about this whole thing. I may be here, but I'm still skeptical. I'm still exploring. I have lots of questions. I would not use the language of Luke 6, verse 46, which says people call Jesus Lord, Lord. I'm, I'm not there yet in my thinking and in my reality. So I'm, I'm just checking this whole thing out. And you need to know that this is a safe place for you. We love that you are here. We appreciate the fact that you have taken the step to come into a place with maybe a bunch of people that you don't know and try and explore and get a handle on what it is that God might be saying to you here in this place. Jesus always invited people to come to him, to inquire. And he always invited them to come as they were, with their doubts, with their fears, with their questions. He didn't make it a requisite that they, that they somehow clean their lives up before they came and figured out what was going on with Jesus. And so you need to know, if that's you, we're here to serve you. We're here to walk with you on that journey. We love it that you are here, the exploring. And some point on, on your journey, our prayer and our hope for you is that you allow God to take you to that next step and allow God to begin to work on transforming your heart. And then this happens, and when you allow God to work on your heart and when you open up your life to him, you move from exploring to stage two, which is experiencing. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me and then also listens to my teaching. And listening is, there's, there's more than just hearing involved with that. It's processing it. It's engaging with it. And God is now beginning to lay a foundation of truth in your life. That's why we print up these new journals for you every time we include uh, a new series. And that's why we put a Bible reading section in them. Because our intent is that we want you to listen to God, to hear from him in his word. Our intent is that you would take some time each day to begin to allow God to speak to you, whether it's in prayer where you speak to God and listen to what he has to say to you, whether it's in his word, whether it's in all of the different pathways that God has designed for you to connect. And that's why we reference in our value God's character. We say the transformational truth is based on God's character, who he is, and his word. Because his word begins to pour nutrients into your life going back to our tree metaphor, that then allows you to begin to bear good fruit. That's why we have a teaching time on Sunday morning, and we use God's Word, not uh, popular ideas or other reference points that we might have. That's why the kids' curriculum that Ruth Ellen and the team lead us through emphasizes helping your kids know who God is in His character and know what He's done in history and learn to listen to Him as well. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. 
And so you have to, as an individual, put yourself into as many places where you can to expect to hear God speak to you. But there's a huge hurdle that happens here. And I find this in my life too. So many of us hear what God says, but we get stuck here at stage two because we choose not to act on the things that God says. We listen, but we never go on to the third and final step. We hear, but we don't act on what we hear because Jesus said step three is you can come to me, you can listen to my teaching, but then follows it. If you don't make it through to step three, it's like you have a house that's built on sand instead of rock. We spent some time uh, in Florida this summer, and it's amazing to hear them talk about extreme weather down there. They know how to have severe weather down there. I'm glad we left before hurricane season came through. But it's interesting to hear them talk about how uh, people respond to the news reports of severe hurricanes like Irene and other major storms. Because they kind of have two categories of people when it comes to severe weather. They have the category of people that uh, says to themselves, hmm, a severe storm, evacuation, that sounds like a good idea. And so when that happens, they do all the things that are required and they follow the evacuation routes and off they go. And then there's another category of people that they talk about down in Florida. And it's a category of people that says, hmm, yeah, I guess I should board up my windows, shouldn't I? Yeah, I guess we should get out of here. But, you know, it's probably not going to be as bad as they say that it is on the news. And so they get the same information as everybody else gets about the hurricane or the severe weather advisory, but they just choose not to act on it in any way. And so in Florida, they look at these people and they say, you know what, you guys actually cause all of the problems for all of the rest of the people because they're the people that they need to go and rescue then in the midst of a hurricane. They're people that are stuck in the middle of a floods or other severe weather. They've heard the information, but great information without action results in devastation. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying truth always requires a response on your part. Truth always requires a response. You have to act on what you know. And so I'm going to let you in on another little pastor's secret today. All kinds of good stuff this morning. One of the things that, uh, that we pastors hear about and we fear almost more than anything else in the world, is Bible heads. Now, you may have met people like this. You may have met some Bible heads in your day. They are so full of Bible knowledge, but they act on none of it. They have been to church for decades and decades and decades They have so much information about God and about Jesus and about the Bible and all kinds of things and what they know what God wants them to do and they don't do anything with it. In North America in particular, this is a problem because in North America, we have access to insane amounts of resources about 
God. And for many of us, we have been educated so far beyond our level of obedience, it doesn't even phase us anymore. We know all kinds of theological words that we don't act on ever. We know all kinds of truth about how God requires us to act and to think. And we do nothing about it. We get stuck at the hearing level and don't move towards obedience. And Jesus says, listen, the natural progression is that you come, that you hear, and that you obey. And that's why the adjective transformation is so important in that core value. It's placed before the word truth because our deepest hope and prayer for you is that God's truth will transform you. And so let me ask a few questions for reflection and response this morning. And the first question is simply this. Where do you see yourself on that continuum? Where do you see yourself today? Are you exploring? Are you experiencing? Or are you obeying? And the reality is that for most of us, we want to be on the obeying, but there's areas in our lives, maybe one, maybe two, maybe whole categories in our lives where we're stuck at the experiencing and we haven't yet moved towards that place of obeying. But the scripture says to us, if you're informed, but you're not transformed, excuse me, then you have missed the mark. And that's why our prayer teams are available to you in a few minutes as we move into a time of responding to God in song. Because we're not here under the illusion that anything particularly crafty that we as human beings do or that we as a church do results in the transformation. That's God's work. And so as we move into a time of worship and response and song, if you feel that somehow God is speaking to you, if there's an area of your life or an action that you need to take that keeps coming back to you over and over and over and over and over again, that's God at work by His Spirit, stirring something inside of you, drawing you, and calling you to act on it in particular. And so the next question for a response is, is there anything that God has asked you to do, but you, you haven't done? And then ask yourself, why haven't I done that? I know as we were praying this morning in our pre-gathering prayer, God brought to mind something that He's asked me to do. Someone that He's asked me to go and pray with. And I kept putting it off. I thought, oh, now's not really a good time. God, we, I have all kinds of excuses as to why I have chosen not to do what it is that God has asked me to do. But when you live at that place, you're stalled out at the level of experiencing and hearing but not obeying. And God's been speaking to me a lot about that this morning and lately. Things that he's asked me to do, but that I've just put off or explained away. And finally, God says something to me like, you know what, Brad, I'm not going to speak to you again about it, but until you act on this thing that I gave you to do, I can't give you another assignment. One of the phrases that I learned from uh, one of my mentors in my sabbatical was this, and he simply said, I, my choice, I have to get up every morning and make a choice and say to God, God, I am going to say yes to every assignment that you give me today. I'm going to choose right now in this moment to say yes to every assignment that you give me today. And so my question for you to think about as an individual is, what is the assignment that God has for you today? Or is there an assignment that he has given you that you have not yet moved to that place 
of obedience on? What's God's assignment for you this week? We're going to sing a song as the team comes and responds in song called The Summons. And it speaks about our response to God's invitation. And I want to invite you to take an attitude in your heart of openness to God this morning. Pray. Ask God and say, God, this is totally new for me, but I want to ask you, what is it that you have to say to me about my life and about my level of obedience? What are the steps that you want me to take in this place this morning? Maybe for you, you're saying, you know what? I have never taken that step of saying yes to God and submitting my heart to him. I want you to go over and talk to Dave and Jackie at this side, or I want you to come and talk to me at this side. And we'll pray with you. And God can do that right here in this place today. Give you a transformed heart and life. Maybe God is saying to you, I want you to be more thankful about this particular aspect. You haven't given me the praise and honor that I deserve for acting in a supernatural way in this way in your life. And you want to just give voice to that with somebody and come and say, you know what, I want to just thank God for what he's done in my life this summer or today or this last week. Maybe you want prayer for something particular, for healing or for an action that you say, I want to take this action, but it is going to be so difficult. I just need somebody to pray with me and ask God to give me the faith and the confidence to do that. Because the, the reality is that until your heart begins to be transformed by what it is that God wants to do, you're not going to walk in obedience. But when your heart is transformed by God's truth, your life will bring forth obedient fruit. I'm going to pray for you and we'll move into our time of response this morning. God, we are grateful that you speak to us by your Spirit in this place today. We are grateful that you are a God who wants to give us an assignment, that wants to partner with us in the redemption of your world. You have things that you want to tell each and every person here about our lives. Some of us have become so accustomed not to hearing you and not to listening to you that it's going to take quite process of excavation in our lives. But God, I pray that there'd be a willingness in every heart to take the first step towards you. That there'd be a willingness in every life to respond with open heart and open hands and say, God, what is it that you have for me? What is it that you want to speak to me about today? I want to be willing to you to be obedient to you. God, I pray for every barrier that exists in every person's mind. As soon as we said that, walking in obedience, or as soon as we talked to began to talk about what it is, that assignment that's God given to you, you brought something to, to an individual's mind. And they said, I can't do that. There's no way. God, I pray for strength. I pray that your spirit would equip and empower that person. And everyone who feels that level of inadequacy, Father, I pray for each of us that you would stir up our hearts to a deeper level of transformation by your truth and by your authority. And so, Father, these words that we will sing are prayers. And so we pray and ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, your Son, the name of the Spirit who gives strength and empowers us for life and for mission in your world. We say amen. Amen. Let's sing together as Jared and the team lead us in these songs. Move at any time you want towards the response. You can sit and quietly respond in prayer to God. You can journal and write in your journals. 
or if you need to make uh, something right between somebody that God's given you, just go to them right now and do that as we sing. We'll respond to God as those who are thirsty and who want to come and follow him. So we invite you.